Thanks for listening to Porchlight Music Theater's WPMT. If you love classic musicals, why not check out Porchlight's Sondheim at 90 Roundtable, our discussion series focusing on the complete works of Stephen Sondheim, with me, Porchlight Artistic Director Michael Weber. I've had a great time discussing all of the musicals of Sondheim's incredible career with stars from Chicago theater, Broadway, and beyond weekly throughout Sondheim's 90th birthday year. Listen today to Sondheim at 90 Roundtable for a behind-the-scenes deep dive into the mind, the music, and the writing methods of one of music theater's greatest composers. Available right here on your favorite podcast platform. Search for Sondheim at 90 Roundtable or visit porchlightmusictheater.org for more information. Hi, I'm Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theater. Opening October 19, 1938, at the Ethel Barrymore Theater, Knickerbocker Holiday, with book and lyrics by Maxwell Anderson and music by Kurt Weil, is based loosely on Washington Irving's Father Knickerbocker's stories about the life in 17th century New Netherland, also known as Old New York. The action of the play is narrated by 19th century author Washington Irving, who announces his intent to write a history of the original Dutch settlement of New Amsterdam. The story opens in Manhattan in 1647, where the colony awaits the arrival of its new governor from Holland, Peter Stuyvesant. Irving selects as his hero the young Brom Brock, a brave but impulsive fellow who becomes enraged if anyone tries to give him orders. The author and his young hero imply that this independent streak is characteristic of all American citizens. The production is both a romantic comedy and a thinly-veiled allegory equating the 1930s New Deal of President Franklin Roosevelt with fascism. In fact, a Roosevelt ancestor is one of the characters on the corrupt New Amsterdam Council in the story. The right-winged leaning book writer of Knickerbocker Holiday, playwright Maxwell Anderson, believed that government was necessary in society, but that it must always be watched because it is swayed by the self-interests of those in power. Sound familiar? However, in 1938, Anderson saw FDR's New Deal as an American version of the corporatism and concentration of political power which had given rise to Nazism and Stalinism. This highly political point of view was common with playwrights of the era, like Clifford Odets, George S. Kaufman, Robert E. Sherwood, and more, who infused their work with strong messaging from across the political spectrum. In fact, the first musical to win the Pulitzer Prize for Drama was the story of a corrupted presidential election in 1931's Of the I Sing. Knickerbocker Holiday's composer, Kurt Weill, had burst onto the Broadway scene with his early masterpiece, The Three Penny Opera, followed by the anti-war musical Johnny Johnson, produced in association with the legendary group theater. His new work, Knickerbocker Holiday, was highly anticipated, and popular Broadway star Burgess Meredith, a friend of Wilde's, was originally set to play the romantic young lead, Brom Brock, but he left the production when he saw the villainous character Peter Stuyvesant to be portrayed by another Broadway star, Walter Houston, growing into a more and more lovable and important character, upstaging his own. 
Meredith was right to be concerned, as Walter Houston made a critically acclaimed meal out of playing the lecherous governor of old New York. Here now are David Brooks as Brom Brock, Jean Darling as Tina Tienhoven, Robert Shackleton as Washington Irving, and from the original Broadway cast, Walter Houston as Peter Stuyvesant on the December 30th, 1945 episode of the Theater Guild on the Air in Knickerbocker Holiday. United States Steel presents the Theater Guild, one of America's foremost theatrical producers, bringing into your home every Sunday evening from the stage of the Vanderbilt Theater in New York, the most famous plays of Broadway. Tonight we bring you Knickerbocker Holiday by Maxwell Anderson, with music by Kurt Weill, starring Walter Houston as Peter Stuyvesant, and featuring David Brooks as Brom, Jean Darling as Tina, Robert Shackleton as Washington Irving. And here is Lawrence Langner, co-director with Teresa Helburn of the Theater Guild, to tell you something about the play and the players. Mr. Langner. Ladies and gentlemen, we are ending the old year by bringing you tonight, from New York, a musical play about New York, 300 years ago. In it, the author's having a little fun with history, gently kidding some of our city's Dutch forefathers, among whom you'll note there was even then a Roosevelt and a Vanderbilt. And, of course, the Roosevelt was in politics. You all know that in those days, the Dutch purchased Manhattan Island from the Indians for about $24. This is just about what it would cost you here today for three meals and a room with a bath. That is, if you could get the room. Tonight, our favorite actor, Walter Houston, both acts and sings the part of Governor Peter Stuyvesant, which he played in the original Broadway production by the Playwrights Company. Our young hero and heroine tonight are David Brooks, now playing the male lead in another Broadway success, Bloomer Girl, and Jean Darling, who plays the comedy lead in our latest Rogers and Hammerstein Theatre Guild musical, Carousel. And now for the play. Washington Irving, and the cycle of years has come round to 1809, which means that I'm 26 years old and have as yet written nothing. That is, nothing worthy to endure. What about that history of old Dutch New York I thought of writing? My Knickerbocker history. If it's funny enough, it will be read. If it's good enough, it will last. And, of course, it needn't stick too closely to the dull facts of history. A fantasy of fancy, not an ounce of credibility. For who's around to say that I'm making it all up? That's it. 
I'll sing of an age forgotten, the history of New York. When the site of Trinity Parsonage was a pasturage for pork. When Wall Street was indeed a wall and the Bowery was a farm. And the pipe you smoked, if you smoked at all, was twice as long as your arm. Yes, sir, this is a good idea. 600 people in New York at that time in 1647. And by now, now in 1809, we're almost as big as Boston. I'll sing of an age forgot before the inflation came When Manhattan Island brought us some embarrassing to name Of the days before the Indian tribes had turned to reservations Before a wigwam suggested bribes Or had other unsavory political connotations Nope, I better cut that out No politics Question of, of where to begin Got to have my principal character there's only one possibility, of course, old Peter Stuyvesant for the silver peg leg. First real governor of New York. I can see him now, coming up New Amsterdam Harbor. The year, 1647. There he is, standing on the foredeck, glaring into the mist. Captain. Yes, Your Excellency. Jungle. All I see is jungle. Oh, that would be the shores of Long Island, Your Excellency. We'll be in New Amsterdam Harbor in less than two hours. Less than two hours? <laughs> Tell me, Captain, you've been to New Amsterdam before? Oh, yes, sir. This will be my third trip. I have heard tell of a maiden named uh, Tina, daughter of the president of the council, Mynheer Tino. Oh, yes, indeed, sir. <laughs> a remarkably well-turned-out young lady you'll find her, sir. Most attractive. Hmm. The birds whisper, Captain, that she is to be my bride. Oh. It's a relief to hear that she is not ill-favored. Two hours. Two hours more in New Amsterdam of inefficiency and stupidity and democracy. Then I arrive. A lawless community, New Amsterdam. Uh, there are ways and ways of handling a wishy-washy government. Ways and ways of uh, bringing order. Uh, uh, yes, sir. I look for no trouble. A firm hand from the start. Yes. That will lead to a long rule and a peaceful one. Here comes my principal character on a brigantine from Holland. And the port, the spot to which he comes... I begin to see it. Yes, I think I begin to see it. The Battery, New York's harbor, about 1647. Stone piers along the waterfront and windmills in the distance... A ship or two would anchor behind the rows of houses with the corrugated roofs. A fort with its cannon thrusting out. And here, a gallows for the miscreant. And there, some benches. And in a pile, some bowling balls. Those early Dutchmen had strange ideas of what was sport. Listen now, here comes my second character. The town crier. Oh, yes! Oh, yes! Can the city of New Amsterdam hear me? No news by land, no news by sea, absolutely no news whatsoever. That's what he thinks. I'll give him news to report soon as my next characters come on. Even if I have to make the news up, it'll be there. Here, for example, striding down Wall Street. Behold the bulging council of the city, those gray and solemn elders, chosen like all city councils for their weight and density. The 
incredible dilatoriness of their deliberations, the impenetrable intransigence of their opinions, but more especially for the inordinate breadth of their views and bottles, and for their intolerance of any corruption in which they have no share. I see a ship on the bay. Seems to be coming this way. Could be Governor Stuyvesant's ship. Could be. It's got to be. It's a holiday. Sit down. Sit down. As chairman of the council, I tell you to come to order and hush up so we can be silent. Answer up your names. Van Rensselaer. Here, Tinhoven. The Breeze. Here. The Peister. Here. Van Cortland, Jr. Yes, sir. Van Derbeer. Here. Roosevelt. Here, by golly. Only, Tinhoven, why do you have that big bandage on their head, huh? Oh, don't reminding me of it. We should make a law says nobody was hitting a council member on their head with a bowling ball. Uh, now then, um, the gentlemen of the council, we have seen that ship and the new governor, Peter Stuyvesant himself, comes in maybe half hour. It's a national holiday with a national celebration and somebody got to be hanged but a neck to dead in real style. Because suppose a new governor comes and nobody is hanged on hanging day. That's a shame for us, a civilized nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to hang a man. That's true. Which man we going to hang and how we going to hang him so it hurts more? Uh, should we hang a Quaker or maybe a Baptist? Last time we hang a Baptist, he falls up and dies too quick. Quakers is tougher. For the new governor, Peter Stuyvesant, we should give him the best, so maybe we should hang a Quaker. How many Quakers we got left? Two. Very tough men. Preachers. Wouldn't die too hasty? No, no. They kick. Maybe half an hour. Hey, wait. Wait. I would wish to speak private, Mr. President of the Council. Speak it out loud. This is a holiday. Well, then, there is nobody to hang. Why not? There is nobody in the jail. Why not? There was plenty yesterday. They went out. Through the hole. What hole? The hole in the jail. Is there a hole in the jail? Yeah, there is. Once I had a prisoner used to cut notches every day. So when I want to know what day it was, I go look at his notches. Every day he cut notches bigger and bigger till the last time he cut a notch right through and went out. <laughs> That's how the hole got there. <laughs> We got to find somebody. Maybe if we could sneak down by the waterfront, very soft, yeah. maybe we could catch even a pretty good criminal. Yeah, 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 let's let's go. Yeah, Only yeah. look like you wasn't looking. On a tippy toe. <laughs> Washington Irving speaking again. Now we've started. Only we must have a hero, of course. Ah, here's the fellow, Brom Brock, strolling along the Bowery, hat on the back of his head. Poor sort of hero I turn out to be. No money, no job, no social graces. I want you the way you are, even with my bad disposition. Do you realize I've quarreled with every influential person in town? Even mine here, Teenhoven, father of the girl I love. I hit him on the head with a bowling ball. You wouldn't be that way if I didn't have a good reason for it. Remember, I'm creating you. Now, come on. We've got to get on with the story. First, I'll surround you with some pretty Dutch maidens. Look, it's Brom. Oh, Brom, where have you been? Oh, you shouldn't be here, you know. Mynheer Tienhoven, president of the city council, says you're a very destructive young man and should be punished severely. I know, but I've reformed. Never make trouble again. Oh. Keep out of fights and get along with everybody. Oh, no, Brom. Yes, I will, too. I want to get married. 
And before you get married, you have to be civilized. Oh, Brom, I know but it's somebody who's missed you since you went away. Oh, I missed her, too. If you see her, you, you might tell her. Shall I call her? Well, why not? Tina! Tina, Tina, when somebody's come back. Oh, Brom's here. You better come out. I'm not allowed to see him. Father says he's always fighting. Not me. No more. I've reformed. Oh, well, maybe if you reformed. Brom, I'm so glad to see you, but why do you fly into these terrible rages all the time? Uh, run along, girls. All right. Oh, Tina, I knew I'd have to tell you sometime. It's a strange malady. I can't take orders. No matter how hard I try, I just can't take orders from anybody. But why? I, I know you'll say this is ridiculous, but... I, I think maybe it was something I ate. Don't be silly. I'm not being silly. I was never bothered this way in Holland. Why, well, I used to take orders perfectly well. No, it started in this country. That winter I was out in the woods living on wild turkey and Indian corn. A very peculiar story. Of course, I can see that if you can't take orders, then you can't work for my father. And then you won't see so much of me. And uh, there's probably someone else. Oh, no, and... no, no, Tina. I, I've been utterly miserable away from you, but... Your father forgot and started ordering me around, and I hit him with a bowling ball. <laughs> Was that why he's wearing a bandage? Yes, but don't let it bother us, Tina. Don't let it come between us forever. Oh, I think I'd forgive you anything except not wanting me. But you've been away for weeks and no word from you. But I was trying to make myself stay away so my curse wouldn't light on you, too. But it was no use. I've been hunting through woods. I've been fishing over water for one certain girl who's a certain father's daughter. I've been following trails. I've been staring after ships for a certain pair of arms and a certain pair of lips. Yes, I've looked everywhere. You can look without wings. And I found a great variety of interesting things. Occasional sunset reminded me Or a flower growing high on a tulip tree Or one red star hung low in the west Or a heartbreak call from the meadowlark's nest Made me think For a moment, maybe it's true call in the blue, but it never was you, it never was anywhere you, anywhere. leave your father's house and marry me, even without his consent? We both feel the same way. Why can't we? Oh, my father has arranged for me to marry someone else, and, and he won't tell me who it is. But let's not think about that. 
Let's just hope that something will happen and, and don't stay away so long again because I've been running through over the head and I want to marry him. Quit talking to him. But why shouldn't I talk to him? And why shouldn't I marry him? I got plenty of troubles with the new governor coming and nobody to hang. And right in the middle, you should want to marry Brown Brocker. hit me in the head. Well, I can't see why in the world you should have to hang somebody, even if it is a holiday. I'd like it much better if somebody got married, and I think the new governor might like it better, too. Well, why not, mine here, Teen Hoven? Teen and I are in love. Give us your blessing, and I'll promise to make you a good son-in-law. Yeah. Counselor, follow me this way under the trees. We got secrets. What did we say was the punishment for hitting me on their head? We didn't say. Couldn't be hanging. No, no, that couldn't be hanging. What was the punishment for running away from apprenticeship? Maybe a year in jail. Altogether, the two of them, it makes a hanging. No, no, hardly could be. Almost. Maybe. What kind of crimes it comes up to hanging? I got it here. One, taking away people's money. Two, killing people. Indians you can kill, but not people. Three, stealing a sheep. Four, stealing a cow. Five, stealing two pigs. One pig is not hanging, two pigs is. Six, kissing with Indians. What? Is that hanging? Kissing with Indians? Yeah, that's hanging. I, I didn't know that. 
you speak a little quieter. Maybe somebody listens. That nobody gets hanged for, don't worry. Kissings at night and witnesses there couldn't be. That's good. Now, seven, selling brandy or firearms to Indians. What? Is, is that hanging? Yeah, hanging. Oh. Don't say it quite so loud. One more. Making accusations against the council. Only nobody made any accusations, so that's no good. No good. I guess maybe the best is put him in jail till we find the law could be hanging for him. Marshal Chamaron, you will arrest him. Only don't give him no orders. I know that son of a gun. He's dangerous. I'm the one could give him orders. Ram Brack. Yes, sir. You was going to jail. Oh, I was, was I? When? Now, today, at once. Do I hear you order me positively to go to jail? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Will you go to jail, please? That's no order. So why should I obey you? A fella couldn't go to jail, even when it's got a hole in it. And additionally, we got nobody to hang on hang day for the new governor. Oh, what you want most of all is a man to hang for the celebration? That's it. If I find you a man who is undoubtedly guilty of a hanging offense, uh, will you hang him? I think so. Uh, sure. Who is this man's name? His name? Well, a few moments ago, I heard it explained that selling brandy and firearms to the Indians was a hanging matter. Now, when I was in my Tienhoven's employ... Every member of the council was constantly selling brandy and firearms to the Indians. And every one of the council members shared in the profits, so they're all guilty. It appears, therefore, that they are the logical candidates for today's holiday hanging. Not true. None of it's true. Everybody knows it's true, of course. That's the reason for all the attacks the Indians have made on us in the last five years. Just a minute. Just a minute. Making accusations against the council is a hanging business. Seems to me somebody made accusations against the council here. That's right. Yeah, yeah boy, Colin, now we got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a motion. Everybody say, hey, quick. Hey, Father, no, Father, you can't hang the man I love. He was going to hang us, wasn't he? But you were guilty. Not legally, he wasn't. And he's innocent. Not legally, he's not. But it's not justice. Nobody said it was justice. We said it was legal. Well, what are laws for if not for justice? I'll tell you that some other time, not now. <laughs> Should we sing him up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, wait, wait, uh, not so hasty. He can't wait. The governor's coming. You mean it? You're going to hang me? Yeah. yeah. But wait, one last request if there's time. What is it? Well, I, I beg and pray that, that you'll use the old-fashioned way of hanging with a noose around the neck. You know, the modern methods may be more effective as punishment, but uh, I don't wish my agonies prolonged. Hmm? What is this uh, modern method? Hanging by the belly is now the proper mode of capital punishment. Partly because the prisoner takes longer dying, which adds to the merriment of the crowd, and partly because he suffers more pain, which assists in deterring crime. What's that? A new way of hanging, squeezing around the stomach. He likes it? No, he don't like it. Well, if it's a good way, I guess maybe we should use it. Oh, no, 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 gentlemen. Anything but that. Oh, I never should have mentioned it. It hurts more when it lasts longer. I, I guess that's what we do. All right, we put the rope around here now, right around your tummy. And you see how you like that? <laughs> oh, yes, oh, yes, Governor Stuyvesant is now entering the city of New Amsterdam. Should we hang now or wait for the governor? Here comes the governor in his garage. We pull him right over the governor's eye. Your 
Excellency. Gentlemen of the council, citizens and friends, this is a most touching performance. I... But what in the name of heaven do you think you are doing with that man? We're hanging him on hanging day in honor of the new governor. And why is the rope around his circumference and not around his neck? Isn't it a new style in Europe to hang by the belly now because it hurts more, huh? My good friends, I don't know where you picked up this highly original notion, but it's erroneous. When you want to hang, you hang to kill. This would merely make an enemy of a man. He said it was the new way. Oh, he... Oh, you hanging up there. This was your idea? That's right, sir. Ha-ha. Then I have great admiration for you, and I pardon you. Let him down. A young man who saved his own life so neatly should be worth saving. Moreover, there are to be no executions on this day of deliverance and rejoicing. Yeah. Any little unpleasantness of that sort will go over until tomorrow. From now on, citizens of New Amsterdam, you will have to do with a different and, let us hope, less stupid form of government. You said we were stupid. I should doubt that ever in the history of the world. There has been a more preposterous, muddle-headed, asinine, crooked, double-dealing, vicious, venal, fat-headed group of men in charge of the nation's destiny. Hello, Dean Oven. People of New Amsterdam, I come to save you from them, and I did just in time. From this day forth, the council has no function except the voting of those wise and just laws which you and I find that we need. From this day forth, all taxes are abolished. Except for those at present in effect and a very few others which you and I may find necessary for the accomplishment of our desired reforms. From this date forth, every man shall be guaranteed enough to live on. Unless it is my personal opinion that he is not worthy to live. And lastly, there shall be no coercion used by the government toward any man, woman, or child. Except on my personal order or the order of officers delegated by myself. In other words... Citizens, you may safely put yourselves in my hands. If I have one drawback as governor, and to be honest with you, I must mention it, it is only that I am absolutely insistent upon having my own way. Do not, I beg of you, make me your enemy, for I am utterly implacable. I have a long arm, a sharp eye, and a good nose, and I bear grudges. The one man I cannot tolerate is a man who cannot take orders. Citizens. Are you with me? Hey, wait a minute. Brown, hush. To the yes, man! Thank you, thank you. I thought so, and I'm grateful. And now, but I mentioned my nose a moment ago, and perhaps I should explain. My nose is excellent, but uh, peculiar. When there is opposition in my neighborhood, I can smell it instantly. And I smell it now. Oh, Your Excellency, from the maidens of New Amsterdam, this bouquet of American roses, just smell them. Well, uh, uh, thank you. Uh, oh, Tino. You called? Uh, this uh, this girl, is it possible that it is your... Uh... My daughter, Tina. Uh... Charming, charming. <laughs> Couldn't have made a better choice for a wife myself. Well, perhaps this time my nose was wrong. For my sake and yours, I hope so. Nothing gives me more pain than the violence which I commit when I discover the least breath of opposition to my altruistic policies. And now gather round me. We are entering upon a new era, a future of universal happiness and abundance. One touch of alchemy transmutes our rage to gold. Would you be rich and free, then do as you are told. This modern alchemy transmutes our rage to gold. The man who would be free must do as he Shall want for food, no ditto any wife. All hail the bright, the good, the regimented life. No man who wants for food, no ditto any wife. All hail the bright, the good, the 
proclaim the apex of our climb for burger and for dame. News to hoi polloi of each individual man his boon in an age of strength through joy. But he's an old man. He's a great soldier and he's governor. But he has a wooden leg. There's a silver leg, solid silver. I don't care if it's gold. You will learn to like it, girls. Get over these little things. I simply won't marry him. That's flat and I won't leave Brahms. Uh, Tinoven, perhaps I should have a few words with the maiden Tina alone. Very sensible. Burgers, dames. This celebration will be crowned by a feast from the ship's stores. I have brought with me a considerable supply of Holland's gin and Dutch Madeira, and you will find these comestibles waiting you on the pier. Well, then, my dear Tina. Yes, sir. It has been arranged for political reasons that I should espouse the daughter of mine here, Tina Oven. But what good fortune. What astounding luck. What a face and what a figure. What a divinity among maidens. There's no princess in the courts of Europe with half your beauty or your charm. I'm afraid you flatter me. <laughs> you haven't seen the present crop of princesses. <laughs> now, uh, now we shall make arrangements for the wedding. The wedding? The sooner the better, my dear Tina. The sooner the better. It's a little late today, but uh, tomorrow at the latest. Tomorrow? But we're not even betrothed. And we'll have the betrothal in the morning and the wedding in the afternoon. Oh, no, no, please. Uh, don't you think you could wait a, a few years? Years? <laughs> You are young, my sweet. You have the world in a lifetime before you. But the hair is graying at my temples. Slightly, but graying. And the days begin to slip rapidly through my fingers. For my sake, try to overcome this, your girlish modesty. And uh, let me lead you to the altar while the fire burns brightly. A few months, then. A few years. <laughs> ah, these months and weeks... When I was a young man courting the girls, I played me a waiting game. If a maid refused me with tossing curls, I'd let the old earth take a couple of words while I plied her with tears in place of pearls. And as time came around, she came my way. As time came around, she came my way. But it's a long, long while From May to December And the days grow short When you reach September And I have lost one tooth 
And I walk a little lane And I haven't got time For the waiting game And the days turn to gold As they grow few September I'd spend with you these golden days I'd spend with you when you meet with the young men early in spring they court you in song and rhyme they woo you with words in a clover ring but if you examine the goods they bring They have little to offer but the songs they sing And a plentiful waste of time a day A plentiful waste of time But it's a long, long while From May to December Will the clover ring last Till you reach September I'm not quite equipped for the waiting game, but I have a little money, and I have a little fame, and the days dwindle down to a precious few, September. Precious days I'd spend with you. These precious days I'd spend with you. So you, uh, you see how it is, my dear? Yes, sir. I do see. But there was someone else. Was there? Yes, but I'll tell him if I have to. I know that when it comes to marriage, a maiden must obey the orders of her parents. Fine, fine. You see, no trouble at all. Burgers, dames, citizens, maidens, come rejoice all. Oh, yeah. Sound the trumpet. Announce the band. Everybody dance. Somewhere among you I smell defiance. Someone among you harbors rebellion and dissatisfaction. You, Brombrock, if I had not saved your life an hour ago, I should say it emanated from you. It does, all right. You find my regime unwelcome? I certainly do. Oh, Brom, you owe your life to him. Please don't make trouble. Kindly note, young man, that all I ask of any citizen is that he subscribe fully and freely to my policies as announced. Can you do that? I'm... I say, can you do that? Because I still smell you very strong. Well, I... I don't know how to explain. I'm probably all wrong, but this is supposed to be a democracy. Democracy? What's a democracy? It's a... It's where you're governed by amateurs. It's a free country. Enough! Arrest him! Aren't you even going to give me a trial? Well, when a man's guilty, what the devil good's a trial? The jail with him. We'll deal with his case later. And the rest of you. Are these the proper faces for merriment and gaiety? 
Let me hear you laugh. <laughs> laugh. Now sing. Sing. Oh, by the Almighty, I may forget myself. Me, 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 me. Oh, hail the political honey. Sing, sing, I say like a man. All hail the political honeymoon. Now then, everybody, because I'm watching you. second act of Knickerbocker Holiday, starring Walter Houston, produced by the Theater Guild on the Air and presented by United States Steel. And here speaking for you, S. Steel, is George Hicks. Tomorrow night, thanks to the decisive victories of the Allied forces in 1945, we Americans will celebrate our first peacetime New Year's Eve in four years. All of us can be devoutly thankful that our arms were so completely successful. American industry, both labor and management, contributed in large measure to making possible this military success. Yes, we'll celebrate in the blessed American freedom we fought, worked, and sacrificed to preserve, and we'll face 1946 with America's unconquerable faith in the future. For millions of us, this New Year's Eve and the days ahead will seem even brighter because of the presence of loved ones who are back after being away in the armed services. U.S. Steel has asked me to dedicate this New Year's message to those already back, and to those who are coming home every day by the thousands. Americans everywhere must join hands in an all-out effort to see to it that these veterans get jobs so they can quickly resume an honorable and self-sufficient place in their homes and communities. Toward this end, U.S. Steel has already hired over 40,000 servicemen, including many physically handicapped, and will continue to hire and train them wherever possible. And now, speaking for the more than 225,000 stockholding owners of U.S. Steel, and for those who are responsible for the corporation's management, let me thank you for your splendid reception of the Theater Guild on the air, and wish each of you a very happy and prosperous 1946. We pause for station identification. Your station is KECA Los Angeles. The curtain rises on the second act of Maxwell Anderson's Knickerbocker Holiday, with music by Kurt Wilde, starring Walter Houston as Peter Stuyvesant, featuring David Brooks as Brom Brock, Jean Darling as Tina, and Robert Shackleton as Washington Irving. Washington Irving speaking again. Getting somewhere now, aren't we? Conflict, emotion, people taking sides. Virtue incarcerated and villainy, triumphant at least for the moment. Here Brahms sits in the ventilated New Amsterdam jail, thinking. And, but, but shh, here comes a visitor, stealing up to the hole in the wall, head in a kerchief, stealthily, now looking in. Brahms, help me in. Tina. Give me your hand. 
Jean, you'll be caught here. As long as I live, I'll never again do as I'm told. What are you talking about? <sighs> Let me catch my breath. You see, this evening, my father ordered me to go upstairs and try on my betrothal costume. Ordered me, you see. And suddenly I understood about you for the first time, about not being able to take orders. I was furious. I went to my room and I climbed out the window and I came straight to the jail. Oh, maybe it's catching. Maybe it is. Anyway, I'm not going to marry that Stuyvesant. I'm going to marry you. Tina, Tina, you'll defy your father and the governor all for me? Yes, I have a plan. We'll shake the dust of this town from our feet forever. We'll steal a boat, escape from Manhattan, and seek out an obscure retreat in the wilderness out beyond Brooklyn. Come on, back out the hole. Tina, <laughs> Tina, kiss me first. Then we go. Right this way, my dear Tina. Oh, Tina! Your father! Quick! Too late. What is it? Kissing! I saw you, Tina. You was a husband. Oh, no, father! You're coming with me, quick. All this got to be hushed up because you got to marry the governor. I'm going to marry Brom. No, you won't, because if you said one word about that, I fix it with the governor so Brom hangs tomorrow for the betrothal celebration. Come on now with me. Wait, father, wait. Brom! Goodbye, Tina. Goodbye. Well, here I am again, lucky Brom. Oh, well. Winners lose. And losers win. Put your money down and watch the planet spin. Oh, good fortune changes hands inevitably. And the fish you couldn't catch are still in the sea. When your hat lets rain in, because it has no crown. And your feet are wet and getting wetter When you're on rock bottom And you can't go down Any change is for the better When your luck bows out And you go to jail And you're on the inside Looking out at the car when your friends say sorry And you can't get bail Then there's nowhere to go But up To the man who has a plenty And he changes for the worse So he plays a losing hand Against the universe But in winter weather When the leaves the banker has his mortgage on your car when you're on rock bottom and you can't go down, can't go her way, can't go that way, can't go this way. Washington Irving speaking again. Nearly time for the betrothal ceremony. The crowd is gathering in front of the governor's mansion, and Tina stands dejected before her intended here on the porch. My dear, have you memorized a little handful of rules which I drew up for the guidance of wives of New Amsterdam? I'm afraid not all of them. Then put on your thinking cap, my dear, for you will need these few precepts before nightfall. 
Now, what was the very first admonition on your list, child? Uh, repeat them all from the beginning. Rules for the wives of New Amsterdam. One. One. A wife should have nothing on her mind which she does not tell her husband and should tell her husband nothing which does not give him pleasure. Quite accurate. <laughs> Two. Two. Husband and wife should never pass in the doorway. She should never go out as he comes in, nor come in as he goes out. Yeah. And as a corollary, the less she goes out, the better. Three. Three. She shall avoid all demonstrations of affection except when alone with her husband, for a Hollander's lady like Caesar's wife must be beyond reproach. Crude rule, but necessary. Four. Four. No dinner is good unless hot. Ha-ha. <laughs> there is the heart of domestic science. Never forget that rule, my dear. Five. For breakfast, the wife should provide a great number of fresh eggs which have been boiled for three minutes by the glass and a great rasher of bacon neatly fried, and she should smile constantly at her husband across these eggs and bacon, for a man is never at his best in the morning and needs encouragement. I can never do it, Oh, never. You, you will do very well at first and better later, my dear. For as a woman loses her charm, she begins to excel in cookery. <laughs> very well. Now then, can anyone give reason why our troth should not be plighted? Yes, I. I, the wife of the jailer of New Amsterdam. What? I can give what reason. reason. She visited the jail last night in a most indelicate and indecent manner. This sweet and innocent girl? She's not so innocent. Did you visit the jail last night? Yes, sir. For what purpose? Why, um, to return Brahm's ring to him. You were engaged to Brahm Brock? Yes, sir. And you went to jail to break off the engagement and return his ring? Yes, sir. <laughs> Perfectly sound and moral reason. Then why did you kiss him? Uh, did you kiss him? Well, I kissed him farewell. Quite proper. Quite proper. We erased the whole episode. When a military man is at the height of his career and marching his battalion off to wars, he's fought numerous engagements for his country far and near in serving his apprenticeship to Mars. And he naturally accumulates some decorative stars in serving his apprenticeship to Mars. Maiden's marriage is the height of her career, and unless she is particularly stupid, she's met many a charming fellow, yet has kept her conscience clear in serving her apprenticeship to Cupid. And she naturally accumulates some decorative stars in winning these preliminary wars. a man in free exchange of phylogenic blisses that both of them remember as a part of nature's plan its practice that makes perfect in our kisses when lovely venus marries with her lord and master mars they mutually profit by
I've been betrayed. Run for your life. Rally the Grand Army. Rally it yourself. You blockheaded sons of a degenerate race, file at the blockhouse then. At least defend ourselves. In the blockhouse all. You too, Brom Block. You apostle of panic. You run her away from India. Me? Yes, you. Get inside with the others. You can at least handle a musket. You're giving me an order? You're ordering me not to fight the Indians? I am. Get inside. I'm fast. You tin pot military man. Get inside yourself. I'm going after those Indians. Run! Run! Come back! <laughs> ah, you've seen the last of him. <laughs> oh, Tony, knock the sheep down. Oh, what a fighter. What a man in battle. Hey, let us go to his assistance. Does anyone follow me? Members of the city council. No. 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 Hey, no. hate hearts. Then I go alone. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, the town crier, will report the bustle. Stuyvesant is entering the fray. Two Dutchmen now fighting ten Indians. The governor's down. Stuyvesant's fallen. Now one's down. They're killing him. I can look no more. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Brom got up again. He got up, but he looks bigger as a giant. Well, now he starts once more. Smash. Oh, what a good one. He saves the governor. The governor fights again, my friend. As I dislike to admit it, you have, you have saved my life, and your disobedience has saved the honor of the city. I cannot pardon you naturally. You will have to stand trial for impertinent disregard of a military order. But you have earned a right to make a speech. Yes, may make a place for him. And may I remind you that in addresses of this character, a certain regard for the feelings of the existing government is customary. Um, I... I confess I had certain illusions about the existing government when it first arrived. But today, as I sat in jail, I saw a tribe of Indians purchasing firearms and firewater from the ship. The implements of war with which they carried out this last attack were sold to the Indians by Governor Stuyvesant. Citizens, let me call your attention to the fact that this man is already under indictment and he makes an unsupported charge against my administration. Gentlemen, this Governor Stuyvesant is obviously a tyrant. But we thought at least he was honest. Take it easy, my friend. We can get together on this. <laughs> last, last night in jail, I, I got thinking about that ridiculous council of ours you shoved into the background when you came in. You said it was stupid. And it was. It was, it was so inefficient and witless that we could get away with a little fun now and then. I guess... Well, I guess no government is perfect. But our old government had immense advantages of being incompetent and clumsy in corruption. Now, your tyranny is another... Treason! This is treason! Oh, wait, 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 wait. I say... Continue. I say his tyranny is another matter. It's efficiently vicious and efficiently corrupt. Let's throw out this professional and get back to the rotation of amateurs. Let's keep the government small and funny... And maybe it'll give us less discipline and more entertainment. Sounds as if you were trying to erect your private and personal disease into a public policy. The same city won't hold the both of us. Jailer, the rope. And this time, under the left ear. I shall never forget how cleverly you tricked the poor old council, but out-tricked me. 
<laughs> Try your witty stratagems on old Peter Stuyvesant and see how far you get with uh, that. B- b- will you give me a minute to think? I'll give you three seconds. One, two, three. That's that. Call air. Make the announcement. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The final hanging of Bombuck. Bombuck will absolutely be hanged. Mine here, Tienhoven. The council will have the honor of hoisting this rascal into eternity. Range yourselves along the rope. I want to kiss him goodbye. If she wishes to demean herself, let her kiss him. Goodbye, Tina. I'd uh, like to say one word to the council. Uh, gentlemen, I used to think there was something wrong with me because I couldn't take orders. But now I know that it was a virtue, and one you'd better all learn if you want to live. Cut that speech short. Cut it short. I'm sentenced for saying that your government was better than his. Now, if you don't want him to hang you all one by one, you'll throw down that rope and speak up to him. Take in the slack. Up with him. No hesitation. He better. He better pull. Does he do your thinking for you or have you minds of your own? No. We wouldn't pull. What? We wouldn't pull. My name's Roosevelt, and when I get an idea, I sh- it sticks. We wouldn't pull. If it comes to open rebellion, the arms are on my side. Soldiers, get ready to fire on the crowd. Will you hang that man or not? No! Soldier, get ready to fire. Uh, excuse me. I must have a word with you, Governor Stuyvesant. Yes, and who are you? I'm Washington Irving, the author. Hang all authors and hang all members. Stay out of this and let me govern my people in my own way. But the bloody step you contemplate, sir, is one you would not wish posterity to witness. Posterity? Where is this posterity? Out beyond the circle of the earth, Governor. In a million homes, posterity sits listening, waiting for your decision. They're listening? That many of them? And you say they'll, uh, they'll think well of me if I don't hang Brom? That's right. It's worth having. Man doesn't live forever, and he lies a long time in his vault. I'll make a little readjustment with the council, and Brom shall not hang. Brom, you shall marry your Tina. And may you raise up a generation of descendants that won't take orders. If that's what they want for Americans, that's what they'll get. And let the governments to come worry about it. Very handsomely said. Brom. Tina. Governor Stuyvesant. Yes? Don't mm-hmm. forget, handsome excellency, that there's one man in New Amsterdam who is alive to the solid virtues of Finger's governor's lady, even if Tina uh-huh. More than just one such maiden, sir. Oh, oh governor. <laughs> Me too. Well, my fair young friend, you warm my heart. Oh, it's a long, long time from May to December and the days go short when you September, and I'm not quite equipped for the waiting game, but I have a little money, and I have a little fame, and the days dwindle down to a precious few, September. Precious days I'd spend with you. These precious days I'd spend with you. And before I forget it, you, Washington Irving, speaking about raising up a generation of descendants that won't take orders. Yes, sir. Maybe I could qualify. I was never able to take orders. That's how you tell an American.
Fallen on the Theater Guild production of Knickerbocker Holiday, presented by United States Steel, starring Walter Houston as Peter Stuyvesant, featuring David Brooks as Brom, Jean Darling as Tina, Robert Shackleton as Washington Irving. And here again is Lawrence Langner to tell you about next week's Theater Guild play to be presented by the United States Steel Corporation. Mr. Langner. Ladies and gentlemen, before I tell you about next week's play, I want you to know that Walter Houston, the famous star of stage and screen you've just heard, isn't just a song and dance man, as you might imagine from this program. It's true he was once a singer and hoofer in vaudeville, but he long ago graduated to higher things. In fact, he's just opening in Philadelphia in a new play called Apple of His Eye. Walter, won't you tell us something about it? Well, Lawrence, it's a charming little comedy produced by Jed Harris and myself, and naturally, since I'm in on the producing end of it, I, I play the lead as well as the love interest. I'm not surprised you're playing the love interest, Walter. After all, it's not September, but June with you. <laughs> well, Lawrence, it's just always New Year's with me. So I, I would like to wish everybody here and all those listening in tonight a very happy New Year. I'd like to echo your good wishes, Walter, on behalf of all of us here tonight and for the Theater Guild and for U.S. Steel. Next week, we're presenting one of the funniest American farces, Three Men on a Horse, by Cecil Holm and George Abbott. Two of the players who were in the original play will be heard on the air next Sunday. Sam Levine and Shirley Booth. Stuart Irwin, who played the lead in the screen version, will also be on our program. And now, here is Mr. Brokenshire again. The United States Steel Corporation hopes you'll be with us next week at the same time when we will present the famous Broadway comedy, Three Men on a Horse. If you'd like program notes and cast list of tonight's Theater Guild on the air prepared for each broadcast with information about the play and the players, simply address U.S. Steel in care of your local station. The staff for Theater Guild on the air includes Homer Thicket, director... George Condolph, producer, and Armina Marshall, executive director of the radio department. Music for tonight's play was conducted by Harold Levy, the play adapted for radio by Peter Lyon. Your announcer, Norman Brokenshire. Knickerbocker Holiday's big hit, September Song, has enjoyed a long life past the recognizability of the show itself, having been covered by Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, Burl Ives, Sarah Vaughan, Lottie Lenya, Willie Nelson, and more. Composer Kurt Weill would have future Broadway hits with Lady in the Dark, One Touch of Venus, Street Scene, and Lost in the Stars, which reunited him with Knickerbocker Holiday's book writer-lyricist Maxwell Anderson. Canadian actor John Huston was a hugely successful Broadway and film star, winning the Academy Award for his role in The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. While Knickerbocker Holiday was his only Broadway musical, he did get to sing and dance once more as the father to James Cagney's George M. Cohan in the film classic Yankee Doodle Dandy. He was the patriarch of the four generations of the Houston acting family, including his son, John Houston, and granddaughter, Angelica Houston, who herself sang September Song on the May 7, 2012 episode of the NBC TV series Smash. Knickerbocker Holiday was released by United Artists as a 1944 film, 
starring Nelson Eddy, Constance Dowling, Shelley Winters, and Charles Coburn in the role created by Walter Houston. As is the case with many movie adaptations of stage musicals, only some of the original songs remained with other composers, including Julie Stein and Sammy Kahn, contributing new and not nearly as good additions to the film. The specific political satire of Knickerbocker Holiday makes it rarely revived these days. However, a 1971 production of the Los Angeles Civic Light Opera at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion found reason enough to stage the show when they had secured none other than Hollywood star Burt Lancaster to make his stage musical debut as Peter Stuyvesant. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio, I'm Michael Weber.